Welcome back to the Hook to TMO Fishing Podcast, where we talk about fishing, recovery, some ranting, and whatever else we feel like. Got a special, special one for you today. Yes, very special. I'm joined by uh, my daughter, Katie, and granddaughter, Ellie. For those of you not watching the video, you can hear her grunting while she eats blueberries and strawberries in the background. We're going to just talk a little bit today about what it was like growing up with a father in recovery. And then maybe if we have time, we'll talk about what, what uh, her experience was like in when as I grew through the fishing industry or grow through the fishing industry. Anyway, so say hello, Kate. Hi. We're uh, so I'm, I'm sober 28 years. Um, I was two years sober when Katie was born. So she's seen all of it uh, in, in some ways, probably doesn't remember some of the early days, but you've seen, uh, you've seen all of it. You've been there. You've been there for all of it, except the first couple of years, which thank God you didn't have to experience that. I wouldn't <laughs> ask anybody to experience my first two years of sobriety. It was brutal. Um, right. Yeah. I was two years sober when you were born. Um, so I, in the first episode, for any of you that listened to, to the one on my story, I didn't talk a lot about my daughter because I knew that I wanted to get into it here uh, in, a, in its own episode, just because she has a, her own perspective on on what it's been like, because, you know, I get lots of pats on the back and props, but, you know, it always wasn't hasn't always been roses. You know, I've, as a recovering alcoholic, I think we're prone, especially early on, to make a lot of mistakes. So I've certainly made my share. Um but the beauty of, of being in recovery, especially in NAA, is that that program's pretty much focused around kind of turning things around and, and making things wrongs right and making amends and changing behavior and learning how to grunt through your food. <laughs> like this little one. Yep. She's about as happy as they get. <laughs> yes, that's how I felt eating that 16 ounce ribeye last night. Anyways. Uh, what are, what are some of the earliest memories you have of, of like going to meetings or my sobriety? Um, I remember everyone was really nice. Um, yeah. I remember like it, whether they were in your inner circle in AA and we saw them on a regular basis or whether they were just people in meetings that we saw only at meetings. They were, everyone was super nice to me. Yeah. Um, I remember going out to IHOP after, um, that was Bigfords. <laughs> Bigfords, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a big thing. Um, yeah, I just remember I had, I was, I had to be quiet. Like that was like the one thing. And, uh, I remember one thing that stuck with me a lot through the years is listening to people's stories and like thinking like, wow, like how can alcohol make someone act like that? Like, you know, just not understanding being so young and just hearing mm -hmm. people talk about you know, they're, I mean, obviously they're sober for a reason. So their stories were sometimes pretty brutal and just yeah. hearing that. I think for, for kids um, that grow up in AA, it's, it's not really much of an adjustment because it's just something you've always done. Yeah. Um, so for the, for the listeners, um, I've, have brought Kate to meetings. Um, she, I mean, we, she was my, my little buddy when she was, you know, a toddler. And so, um, when her mom and I were together, she didn't always go to meetings with me, but Katie did. And, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, she went to every meeting with me for a long time. Uh, and I can remember bringing, you were probably, I don't know, two, 
some blank paper and crayons and she'd sit at the table next to me and she wouldn't say a peep until the break in the meeting. She'd just sit there and draw pictures and color. And, and when the break was over, we'd sit right back down and start coloring again. She didn't grunt and scream while she ate berries like this one does. <laughs> yeah, yeah funny. I think she's pretty funny. Um, uh, but, you know, life, life in a, you know, for me, that hour of the day was the easiest time of my day. Always back then, it was the easiest hour of my entire day. It was the time before and after that was so hard and not just on a sobriety standpoint, just, you know, in, in my own behavior and learning, um, you know, how to be a, a better person and a better parent. You know, I didn't have good role models. My father was, you know, God rest his soul. He was my hero, you know, and, and I loved him as much as any son could love a father. We were very close my whole life, but he was not the best role model. I had to, I had to relearn and unlearn a lot of things that he taught me. And, and there were a lot of tendencies that he had growing up. You know, he was physically abusive. Yeah. He was physically abusive to the women he was with when I was little. I witnessed a lot of that and that was very traumatic. And the plus side of that was that I swore I would never, you know, you, you've never had to experience any, any of that physical abuse, but there was certainly a lot of dysfunction, you know, growing up. Um, you know, it's easy when you're divorced to, you know, to blame the other side and be like, yeah, she was horrible. That's why we're divorced. Cause she was a nightmare. And, but you know, for all of its faults, like I was no saint, I was a train wreck. You know, I was, I got sober and then decided I want to have a baby. You know, I, I, I met your mom in rehab, which is like, there's, there's a reason they say, don't do it. And I'm, I'm super happy that you're here. So that was, that was the positive, but they go south a lot. Rehab romances go south a lot. And so that was kind of the first indication that we didn't really have the best shot at, at, you know, peace and serenity in our home. Um, but I had a lot of um, dysfunction growing up. And uh, nobody ever taught me, you know, Nan, my grandmother, she, she never taught me how to pay bills. When she would sit down to pay the bills, she would say, oh, you don't need to know this. You're just a kid. And so I, I never learned it. And then I moved out on my own. And then a couple of years later, you know, had you and your mom had two kids already. So we had, you know, family. And I was, for the most part, the, the sole breadwinner and wasn't making much money and, and trying to learn how to raise a family. And so there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't call it. It certainly wasn't physically abusive. Yeah. I guess there was some, you know, some, um, emotional abuse between your mother and I, which is never good to do in front of kids. And I think that was the one thing that, that, um, bothered me the most when you were small was, was the fact that you had to witness the arguing and the dysfunction. I mean, we never, I don't think we ever lived anywhere for more than six months yeah. until after your mother and I divorced, you know, and, and moving a lot is, is really disruptive to, to children. They never get to settle. They go into different schools and, you know, she'd get tired of the place that we lived and, and she'd want to move and I'd follow along because it was easier than fighting about it. And I didn't really have a clue either. I wasn't very settled. So I just went with it. And, as time went on, I, I got tired of moving a lot, but you know, it was those hours outside of the meetings that, 
that made it really tough. And it was a lot of yelling early on and, you know, a lot of, a lot of dysfunction. And um, I don't know how much of that, you know, you really remember from the early days, but um, you know, I, I think it's easy to look at somebody who is sober as long as I am, you know, if they've, if they've kind of changed, you know, and become somebody, you know, different to look and think, Oh, look, sobriety is amazing. And, and it is, it is amazing, but you don't just get sober and, and become somebody different right away. You know, I said this in the last podcast with Ryan Lilly, if you take the booze out of a drunk jerk, you're left with a jerk, sober jerk, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you and I were always close. I think our, our most difficult time was between 16 and 18 for you. I'd say like 16, probably like 19 or 20, but that's because I was going through my own stuff and just distance. Yeah. Being wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard. Um, you know, and then obviously your mother and I divorced, which I know was incredibly hard on you. It was, you know, you were the reason I stayed, you know, as, as long as I could, just because I really did not want you to be, you know, a child of a divorced family because it's just so hard. But, you know, at some point it's, you're doing more damage by staying than you are. You know, I had, I've had so many friends whose parents divorced when they were adults, waited until they were adults and moved off to get divorced. And the kids all said, why couldn't you have done that when I was little Yeah, and spared me all those years of dysfunction and not getting along and not liking each other and awkwardness. Um, but AA life was, was good to us for a long time. Well, it's always been good to us, but you know, I mean, that was kind of my, that was my community. That was our, our social life surrounded was surrounded or revolved around, around being, being in NAA, you know, cookouts and Mm -hmm. anniversary parties and um, weddings. And, you know, there was always something cookouts. It was always, you know, something, something going on. And we definitely formed a, you know, a kind of like a family group of, of AA people that we hung out with. And um, I think that was probably one of the things that, that saved me as far as keeping me on track, you know, to be a parent, cause it was people to keep me in check, you know, yeah. cause you were around and, and they kind of, those people modeled good behavior, you know, and gave me something to look forward to, but, or, or something to look to achieve different than, than how I was doing it. You know, it wasn't, wasn't all, you know, bad and dysfunction, but there was definitely some, some dysfunction there. Um, I definitely know for a fact it was the people in AA that definitely kept you level-headed during that time period because it was definitely rough, but I yeah. really didn't see almost any of it, like, ever. Like, it, you were very good at keeping it separate from me. Yeah. What were your, do you remember any of your thoughts back then? Like, you know, I remember, I, I remember when I went to live with my grandmother, I didn't really give it much thought. Granted, I was told it was just temporary, so I just kind of was just like, okay, I'm just along for the ride, but you know, we went from, you know, seeing each other literally every day to seeing each other two or three times a week. Yeah. I don't remember too much from when you and mom got divorced. Um, I was, I think I was five. I was pretty young, but like I said, I do remember, um, I remember right when you first moved out and that was really rough, like coming to see you. I'm pretty sure we were staying in the same room when I would come to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just remember that was pretty tough, but yeah. I know, I don't really remember thinking like, wow, this is awful. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, my dad's here now. <laughs> you know, like, that's what it is. Cause I was little. 
Yeah, and I, and I often wonder if you know some of that is the the chaos factor had you know the, at least the fighting between her and I and the inconsistency because it was it was you know things would be great one minute and then it would be in crisis the next and it would be you know 180 degree switch. So you know part of the reason I left is just to end that. I mean, we didn't get along. I knew that we weren't going to end up together forever. We we did not get along at all and very rare and uh so that was you know the drive biggest driving factor for why i got out of there because it was just so chaotic and so damaging i knew that it was damaging and that you were going to learn bad you know relationship skills and you were going to learn to stay in a relationship that um you know that was dysfunctional Mm -hmm. you know and i knew that leaving wasn't going to prevent that but i knew at least you weren't going to learn it from me yeah you know i at least i that's what i had hoped um so i was in and out of aa i believe when your mom got pregnant i don't think i got sober um no i did when your mom was pregnant i was sober in 93 you were born in 94 a mm-hmm. um, little over a year after i got sober but that was a tough time for me and thank god you were an infant because that was when i you know i did a year sober and then i did a year of what i call couch aa and um slipped into a, a really really fun depression on the couch, did little, literally did some couch AA, um, you know, then got, you know, started kind of getting my legs under me in sobriety and, and then it was just chaos. And then your mom and I divorced. And so and then it was, you know, it's just been, you know, several years since. And um, you guys eventually moved to Summersworth. And I don't, I didn't really... I mean, I I remember a lot of, you know, what, what your life was like. There was some, you know, some trouble, you know, as far as like with school and them trying to get a hold of your mom and her not, you know, being available and stuff. And, you know, eventually I got more involved in school. Um, but it, for the most part, it seemed like you were pretty happy in that neighborhood. You had a lot of friends there. Some of them you're still friends with, you know, a lot of them you're still friends with now. Um you know, and your brother, Ricky, um, what were those? I mean, and those were the years when I was, you know, remarried and, uh, and then eventually you moved, you were a teenager when you guys moved to Portsmouth, you said seventh grade, seventh eighth grade. grade. Yeah. I was like 13, 12 or 13. Yeah. And that's when things started to kind of change for you. And, and I know you went through your own, um, rough patch as well. I guess a lot of people, um, could, you know, could think, you know, that because there was, you know, this dysfunction and divorce and, you know, lots of, um, sometimes neighborhood dysfunction and trauma and people going through their own stuff in the neighborhoods that, that, you know, they like to blame and pick what's, you know, this is the reason, but eventually you started to struggle yourself and in through school and, and in school. And, you know, what was, what was all that like? Um, it's weird thinking back on it because I remember when I was going to Summersworth, like you think Portsmouth and Summersworth now, and you're like, Portsmouth is such a nicer area. Like Summersworth is so bad, but I was like a straight A honor roll student when I went to Summersworth. Like as long as my work was getting turned in, it was all graded beautifully, you know? And then I moved to Portsmouth and I was there for 
I don't know, two months. And then I just started, you know, getting in trouble and mm-hmm. not caring <laughs> like about what anybody thought. And my mom worked in Portsmouth and she was working all the time. And my brother was home and he was, you know, at this point, he's five or six years older than me. So at this point he was well into his teen years, almost in his twenties. Yeah. So he was doing his own thing. And I just started acting out. And at this point, when I was mom's third kid, she was just, I'm done with it. <laughs> you know, there's no stopping me. And I was relentless. You know, I was uh, skipping school and skipping class and talking back to teachers. That was my big thing. I had a bad mouth. Yeah. And uh, that's what got me in trouble a lot. Um, and then as I got older, once I hit high school, it was like, that was kind of game over for me because at that point my friends were driving and my friends were drinking and my friends were doing drugs and my friends were you know getting in trouble and a lot of my friends parents didn't care so it was those kids that I hung out with and it ended me up getting me into some pretty serious trouble (laughs) yep yep that was pretty much the same for me high school that was it once I my grandmother worked at the junior high so once I got away from her it was like thank god (laughs) and I just excuse me just ran with it um, I mean, my, my dad got sober, you know, a handful of times when I was growing up and I don't think it, he might've had a year once, you know, six months was kind of the norm for him. He'd stay sober for a while and then he'd be right back at it again. And, you know, he, he drank hard. What's it like to... I know what it's like to, you know, to just dive into that party scene with and give it all you got. What's it like to do that though, when you have uh, such an involved parent or involved in your life, who's also involved in, in AA having grown up in AA? Um, It was at first, it was like, you know, I was smoking weed at like 13. I was like, don't, don't, don't let my dad find out, you know, like nervous. And then as I got older, it was kind of like a, you know, screw you. Like, and then, you and then even well into my 20s you know like i would be drunk downtown at a bar and i'd see one of your friends or someone that we went to aa with and i'm like hiding with my head down like still like don't let them see me and tell my dad you know and i'm like an adult with my own kids <laughs> yeah they told me yeah i know <laughs> i know <laughs> i would hear about it oh i saw your daughter in the bar in the gaslight mm. wasted getting into a fight with some guy great um yeah you know we all have to find our own path and and, you know it's funny because I remember when I was you know kind of growing up in AA I always kind of felt like that was my like security blanket that was the thing that was going to ensure that you didn't have to go through what I went through and and that's not a guarantee you know if there are parents out there listening that have kids and they're thinking that because you raise your kids in AA (laughs) Um, be careful because um, AA is a melting pot of sick people. It's where sick people go to get well. So you're, you're, you know, you, I'm not saying be careful. Don't bring your kids to AA because it's, they, they, they hear a lot and they're exposed to a lot. And, you know, if they do go through struggles, um, they, there's no hiding, you know, where to go. You know, it's like, you can't get it. can't get that out of your mind. But they kids also will sit there and listen to a lot of war stories. I mean, you heard a lot of war stories, and the the really nice thing about you know getting sober one you is you you get to shed the shame and laugh at some of those stories, you know. And there's a lot of laughter in AA that is purely identification. But the people that don't know that that aren't alcoholics, 
they hear a war story, everybody laughs. So if you start drinking, you have all these war stories to refer to, you know, that everybody thought were really funny and really great. And, and, um, I had been exposed to a few meetings, you know, in back in the day with my dad. And when I was a teenager, I would go to someone, I'd hear these war stories and I'd be like, I want war stories, you know? <laughs> so when I hit it, you know, I did everything I could to remember every night. So I had a good, another good story to talk about and, you know, and talk about how, how hard I partied and how much booze I could drink. And so that's, you know, I think the risk, and I'm not saying that bringing you to AA made you an alcoholic or made you, you know, part, start partying more, but um, it's not a guarantee that just because you raise your kids in the program or in a, in a program, you know, in sobriety, it's, um, you know, a lot of it is, is household stuff. And, and I could only do what I could do in the time that you were with me, but I, I tried really hard to be consistent. Yeah you know, with boundaries and rules and consequences and not being somebody who was, would say you're grounded for a week and then let you off two days later. No, it was not like that at your house. (laughs) It was like that at mom's, which I mean, mom was working all the time and she knew I wasn't going to listen to her anyway, you know? And then I had made the decision at one point I chose to move in with you when I was going into high school because I wanted that discipline. And then I got into high school and I started getting in trouble and the discipline started happening. And I was like, see ya. Um, but no, yeah. You know, people, you would think, you know, you, you grew up in AA, you know, how did you, how you, how are you an alcoholic at, you know, so young. And I think about it and for a while, like I thought that like being sober now at the age I am now, like having people like, yeah, I'm 18 months sober. Like, I feel like I'm so young, you know, because I remember going to meetings and all of these people were so old compared to me. But now I think back on it and I was like, they're all about the age I am now. Yeah. <laughs> like they were they weren't that old. And yeah, it's just crazy because I remember thinking like when I was drinking and partying, like I remember thinking back like something would happen and I would remember something that somebody would had said in AA and I would like have to brush it out because I knew I was doing the wrong thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, it's not a guarantee because I mean, I grew up in AA. All of your friends were in AA. We were going to conferences. We were going, like you said, pig roasts, everything. And I still ended up an alcoholic. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah. And, and it's funny because some of my best friends as a child that turned like Gabe, um, Gabe and I met because Gabe's mom was in AA and would get, make him go to Alateen meetings while she was in an AA meeting. And my grandmother, a neighbor across the street was friends with his mom, was sponsored by his mom, I think, and told my grandmother about Alateen meetings. And so she sent me to Alateen meetings with the girl across the street. And that's where I met Gabe. And so, um, you know, we were, I think I was 12 and Gabe and I would like try to smoke things to see if it would get you high. Weird things like tea and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, this is somebody met in an Alateen meeting. So to the parents out there, you, you do the best you can and you don't blame yourself if you're doing your best, you know, and sometimes the best that you can do is, isn't as good as the best somebody else can do, but it's the best you can do. And you know, nobody can expect you to do better than you're capable of doing. You do your best. And, you know, you try to offer a, a stable upbringing and, you know, if you're from a, you know, if you live, want a child, you know, if you have a child and it's from, you're, and you're in a divorced family, it's really hard because there's two influences, 
you know, and sometimes, you know, one positive influence isn't enough to offset the negative influence on, on another side or uh, just changes or differences in um, parenting, you know, parenting styles. Uh, if you don't agree, then they're going to have polar opposites. And I know for me, for a lot of years, it, it felt like if I am the opposite, didn't always agree and often agree with the way your mother um, the rules and, and, you know, the, the guidance and discipline. And I didn't, so I figured if I was the opposite, not like hardcore militant disciplinarian, but if I was the opposite, as far as being rigid, consistently, you know, rigidly consistent, like if I said, no, it was no, um, that that was going to offset it enough that you'd, you know, um, wouldn't have to go down the same path. It gave you a chance and it, it didn't ensure anything. All it ensured was that when when you did start to kind of follow in my footsteps as far as the partying and stuff, when it got to be too much, you knew exactly what to do and where to go. You know, you knew you knew how to take care of it. So, you know, there were times when I felt like I had failed. And then when I started to see you kind of come out of it, you know, when you did the same thing I did, you'd try it and sober at sobriety and then, you know, go back to partying and try sobriety and go back to partying and for whatever re different reasons. And But I always knew, all right, you know, I, I did the best I could to kind of show some examples and you definitely thrived with um, the consistency and the dependability of when I say no, it's no. It was just like easy to move on. If you asked me something and I said, the morning you wanted to go to a friend's and I said, no. I might have got a why. I mean, once you got a little older as a teenager, then the gloves were <laughs> off and it was all out war. And you just remember somebody saying that teenagers um, are become different people from the ages of 16 to 18. You just have to wait for them to become themselves again. And that's, I remember it was before you were 16. And when you turned 16, I was like, yeah, that was true. <laughs> uh, it was rough, you know, especially for us because we have always been so close. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the people that don't know, um, when I was a teenager, I used to buy weed from a guy that had a, a little two-year-old daughter, blonde haired, blue eyes. Her name was Katie. And I would play with her endlessly when I was at his house buying weed. And I remember thinking some I would love to have she was she was so cute. She had long, you know long um blonde hair blue eyes and i said i want a, I want a blonde haired blue eyed little girl named katie and so when you were born you were born with bleached blonde hair and blue eyes and we had already we knew you were gonna be a girl so we had already just decided that your name was gonna be katie um so that was like my first real gift of sobriety you know was when when you were born so I knew we were going to be buddies and we just went everywhere together for a long time. Um, I mean, literally. And then even, you know, when your mom and I split up, we would still take these road trips to Clark's trade and post. And, um, so it was, it was definitely hard, hard for me. Um, sometimes I would, I would go into these, like when at some of my worst, you know, um, the worst, most um, intense behavior, you know, reactions towards you during your late teens was usually panic yeah that's what it was you know it was panic like I felt like all the work I had done because 
seemed like we had achieved so much. And even in school, like you, you really struggled. And then when I got more involved in high school, you started to kind of come around and it seemed like you actually had a chance. And then it just went off the deep end. Um, as did, as did mine at some point. And that's when I started to panic. Like I need to, you know, I'm losing it. You know, I'm losing it. I felt like I had, you know, worked to achieve so much. Um, and then it was just all falling apart. And, you know, that's where good, you know, good counselors and AA sponsors come in handy to, you know, bounce those things off and, and to be reminded that you're doing the best you can, you know, humans have free will and, you know, kids choose their path and, and, you know, you got to just, hope that the example that I had set all those years would eventually come back around. And I'm not trying, I wasn't ever trying to create a carbon copy of myself, but um, I, you know, I like to think that I set some, you know, some decent examples and we've always remained super close, which is good, you know, especially in, you know, we had a little bit of a tough time there uh, a few years back. Um, but, you know, things are, you know, definitely come back around. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I remember it was crazy because I remember the frustration from you and my teachers being in school because my issue wasn't that I wasn't learning or I wasn't smart. Like it was like I was telling teachers to screw off or throwing chairs or, you know, screaming at somebody or walking out of class or for whatever reason, I was suspended all the time. And they would get so mad because I would, when I would turn in my work, it was flawless. And they're like, what are you doing? And then they'd bring you in. And I will never forget something happened at school. I don't remember exactly what, and you had to come pick me up um, when I because that was part of my um, IEP was that I needed to be picked up when I was angry. I had to leave school grounds because I was a nut. <laughs> um, and you took me to McDonald's and you took me down like by Rye Beach in Portsmouth and you were pretty quiet and we were, and I was just, you know, pissy teenager looking out the window and uh, you started crying and you lost it. And you were like, I am doing everything I can to give you more than I ever had. And I don't want you to have to go through what I did. And I remember I was so mad that you were there. Like, I was just so angry that you were there and being my dad. And I was like, just, just go away, you know? And then I was just sitting there like crying, just so angry. And I, throughout the years of being a teenager and an adult, like I would get myself into a dumb situation, whether it was hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with or drinking or, you know, doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And I remember thinking, I'm doing what he did <laughs> and he does not, you know, like, I just remember, I was like thinking that you would disapprove. And I remember that moment, like throughout my life, you know? So it's not like you didn't try you, like you busted your butt to make sure that, you know, I went down the right path and not to discredit my mom. Cause my mom really did the best that she could do. You know, my sister had a child insanely young and, you know, my brother was drinking at a really young age. And my mom was working all the time. And I, and so I had free reign, you know, and then yeah. I'd come into your house where there was rules and discipline and, you know, I had curfews and it was fine at first. And then as I got older, it just became a joke, you know, and yeah. it's just part of being a kid, but yeah, it definitely is one of those things where, um, you made more of an impact, but as a teenager, it didn't seem like that. As a teenager, you were my annoying dad who cared too much. And mm -hmm. I had to constantly tell my friends, no, my dad said no, you know, and it was just obnoxious. And now as an adult, I'm like super thankful for it because now 
you know, I'm sober now and I have a dad that I can call and say, Hey, you know, I'm struggling. Have you felt like this? And you can relate and you can actually guide me through this process. Cause yeah. I'm obviously still very newly sober. And so it's nice to have someone that, you know, is sober and responsible and actually cares because <laughs> as a teen, I didn't care, but as an adult, I definitely do. Yeah. So let's fast forward. Um, I think it was around 2007 or eight. I started really working to try to um, make a break into the fishing industry. And it went kind of crazy. Like it took me a few years to really get my foot in the door, but it, it seems like since I got my foot in the door, like with playing outdoors and XLR, it's just gone bananas. Um, you know, I'm no you know, internationally famous TV star or anything like that. But from where I started, you know, to, to get to where I am, I mean, what, what's what's that been like? I mean, I know some of your friends are always just like, oh, my God. Um, I, well, I remember when you first started guiding, um, you were hunting and a fishing guide. And I remember you were constantly going out to like scout for turkeys. Like I remember you were always scouting for turkeys and it was just like this thing where, you know, you were, that was what you did for a job. And it was like kind of slow and it was, you know, it was cool to be able to go out and do that stuff with you. And then like, it was so weird. It was literally, it was like overnight, like all of a sudden you were just like, everybody knew who you were in the area that we lived in. And I worked for Bank of America and people would come in with Bass Pro Shop fishing, you know, cards. And I would go and do their transaction and just making conversation. I would be like, uh, oh, do you like to fish? And they're like, oh yeah, I love it. I'm like, oh, my dad's a fishing guy in New Hampshire. And they're like, is it Tim Moore? And it was just so weird that like out of anybody in the area, cause you're obviously not the only guy, you know, like yeah. out of anybody, they just knew instantly that it was you. And it just was like, you were kind of like a small town celebrity, like living in that area. People talk about fishing. I'm like, yeah, my dad's Tim Moore. It's fine. Like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it, it. in one hand, it feels like it happened overnight. On the other hand, I'm like, I worked so hard and so yeah. long and I still put like endless, endless hours because I don't know about a lot of other industries, but I know success in the fishing industry is all about momentum. And it's like rolling a ball. You can't just roll it once and expect it to keep rolling on its own. You know, you have to keep rolling the ball, you know? And so there was such an insane amount of work that went into it. Um, you know, there were, there were, there were times that I, I sometimes wondered like, Oh, I hope she doesn't get upset that I couldn't have made this happen earlier. Cause I mean, I, I think actually like when I had my construction business, I probably made more money than, well, I don't know about now, but you know, a couple of years ago, two, three, three, four years ago, I definitely was making more money in 2007 when I had my construction business before the crash than I, than I was four or five years ago as a fishing guide. Um, it's, it's coming around now, but it's been, it's been crazy. And here you are, you're, you know, you're uh, six years older than I was when I got sober, two kids, one of them supposed to be here, but ice cream is more important than this <laughs> when you're eight um for sure yeah. right yeah 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 and I feel like, <laughs> um I feel like for me your success felt like 
it was overnight because that was the period of time where I was drinking at my absolute worst and I had completely separated myself from you and your life. And so like three or four years go by and you're, you know, busting your ass to make all this stuff happen. And all of a sudden I come back in, you know, once every six months to pop in and you're just like 10 steps further and 10 steps further. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like, all of a sudden my dad's sponsored by all these people and he's putting on seminars and his name's on a sign at Kittery Trading Post and people are asking me questions and taking pictures with your posters at Kittery Trading Post and like saying hi. But yeah, no, you, to say that you didn't work hard for this would be an absolute lie. Cause I remember, um, you know, I just, I remember how hard you worked, even when you were doing hunting as well, it was just nonstop and it's still nonstop. Like even in the last couple of years, it's, sometimes impossible to get you on the phone because <laughs> you're just like, or to get a visit. Cause you're just so busy. And I'm getting to the point now where I've learned the seasons and I know yeah. like when dad is going to be available and when he's not just because, you know, especially ice fishing season, winter time is like dad's up in the morning and he's home and he's asleep and that's it. <laughs> yeah. You love Grandpa. playing with this one. <laughs> well, for those of you out there listening to this that, well, wonder, you might be wondering, I mentioned that I had a daughter wondering, you know, whatever happened with that. <laughs> She's still here. I still have her. Didn't sell her, give her away or anything. Um, you know, parenting sober is, is so hard. Yeah. Getting sober is an all-consuming thing. And... You know, when you go to like AA and they say, you know, don't make any change, major changes for the first year, like stay out of a relationship, don't have any kids. They, they, they say that it's not just about, because it's not just about you. It's about them too. And yeah. getting sober, you know, especially the first year is such an all consuming <laughs> thing. Like there's so much to learn. I mean, I, I was clueless when I got sober. I knew nothing. I was, I was 20 years old and I knew nothing. I didn't know how to be a 20 year old. I, I didn't, you know, 20 year olds I knew parted their faces off and had and shirked all their responsibilities. And all of a sudden I don't, I'm not going to party anymore and I have responsibilities. And so, Hey, I think I'll have a child. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a year sober. I wasn't, you know, but I was, you know, a couple of years sober and it's uh it's a difficult thing but you know anybody that's newly sober that's has a child on the way or a young child you know it's just don't panic and and don't blame yourself if things don't go the way that you you want because i can tell you one thing how your kids turn out um is a very very difficult thing to control there's no guarantee um, there, are, there are no guarantees you know sometimes people nail it but you know people are you know genetically predisposed to certain behaviors or addiction and you know life experiences shape us as adults not just from our parents but you know your own life experiences have helped shape you and, and shape your you know your addictions and so to the parents out there don't panic <laughs> uh it's gonna be okay just keep trying to do the right thing and 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 you'll be okay you know i guarantee you being sober for your kids is going to be far better for them than, than not so anyway i wanted to share this part of my story with you guys um there will be more there are other aspects of my life that that uh i haven't you know included yet you know relationship stuff and 
maybe more stuff about the business and, and all that that'll be coming in the future. So hope we didn't bore any of you to death and any of you to death with this one. Um, I know sometimes the the chit chat gets boring for some people. The I know the fishing crowd wants to hear more fishing and the recovery crowd probably wants to hear more recovery. You can't please everybody all the time. So anyway, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Katie for for sitting in and, and putting up with this. She hates cameras and we get the video camera running right now. And thanks to this little one back here shaking her head, making all kinds of noise for everybody. We're going to sign off. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this. Stay tuned. More to come.